Trinity Baptist Church. Once I was desperate for approval and acceptance, and I had concluded that perfection must be the way to get it. I tried constantly to please others, figuring that would make them accept me. And finally, I'd get what I was so deeply craving. If only I could just have it all together. I strive to say and do the right things, be smart enough, funny enough, cover up my flaws, be whatever I had to be at any cost. But of course, I could never get there. I always fell short, people let me down, nothing was ever enough. I unconsciously believed that I didn't deserve to be loved or accepted and that I'd always be on the outside. Then Jesus found me and he told me that I am enough, that I'm his precious daughter and he loves me and died for me exactly as I am. Today I'm confident in my identity and purpose as a child of God, first and foremost. I've found peace knowing he accepts me and loves me, even in my brokenness and my imperfection. He's refining me day by day, and I inevitably fall short every day, but I can now rest assured of my worth. My name is Stephanie Palumbo, and I am new. Today's reading is First uh, Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 4, and chapter 23, 15 through 18. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belts. While David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horesh. The word of the Lord. Good morning. I am Dave Page. I am uh, one of the elders here at Trinity, and I am uh, excited that you're here. I am absolutely thrilled to be here with you today um, for a couple reasons. Obviously, it's, uh, it's a real privilege for me to be able to get up here and, and share a little life with you. Um, I think it's great that the elders get to uh, each rotate throughout the summer, and you get a, to see a little bit more of uh, the leadership here at Trinity. Um, I'm actually just really grateful that I'm actually present today. Um, <laughs> for those that don't know, uh, my wife Sarah and I have a six-week-old boy, Jack, at home. And um, first takeaway, if you have a baby on the way, write the sermon ahead of time. Just get it all done and out of the way. Um, so lesson learned on my part. Um, but second, I, uh, I woke up yesterday morning in kind of a panic because obviously for those that have a, uh, a little one at home, you know that sleep is a little uneven and, and you take what you can get. But um, I, I guess all those nights waking up groggily changing diapers um, kind of got to me. And I, and I woke up yesterday morning in a panic from a dream. I, I had a dream that Sarah, Jack, and I kind of were running late uh, uh, on a typical Sunday and got into second service a little bit late. And um, I was walking up, and I, I got the bulletin, and, and I started saying hi to everybody. And people were giving me really weird looks. 
until I looked at the bulletin and I realized I was supposed to be preaching today and I had already missed the entire first service. So um, I didn't miss the first service today. I'm glad to be here with you. And um, I'm really excited to, to dig into what we're, uh, what we're talking about today. Last week, uh, Pastor James led us into our new series called Relate, uh, where we're trying to glean biblical wisdom from relationships in the Bible, uh, looking at what they did and, and seeing how we can apply it to our lives. Last week, James kicked us off with, uh, with Joseph, um, the story of Joseph, and, and talking about the importance of maintaining perspective in our lives and in our relationships. And I thought it was a really, uh, a really poignant, timely message. Um, as I was looking back over the, over the headlines this week, I saw something that stuck out to me. It's been about a week and a half since the, the shootings in Charleston, South Carolina, as we, as we mentioned earlier. And if you go back, you can, you can find this online. Uh, last Saturday, June 20th, the front page from the New York Daily News. Front page, the entire front page. It's, it's a picture of the young man, but it's the text that, that you want to look at. In big, bold letters, it says, and I, I want to make sure I get this right, we forgive you. Hate won't win. Victims' families show killer amazing grace. And in the small comment box, it says, He showed no emotion as the families offered God's love. Capital G. And I was really struck by this for, for two reasons. One, these families in the midst of incredible loss and pain and confusion and desperation were bold and forthright and obedient in their forgiveness of, of what had happened. And then secondly, you know, looking a little more broadly, this is the New York Daily News. It is, uh, I found out, the fourth most widely circulated paper in the entire country. It has about a half million daily publication. And who knows how many other people saw it, you know, while they were walking by the newsstand. And I just thought, you know, what an incredible witness this is um, to folks that you know, may not have gotten that glimpse, that, that, sh that shimmer of God's glory in what had happened. And so I think it's just, you know, what we'll see through running, this, running throughout this entire series is it's critical for us to maintain perspective because looking at this horrible event, the Lord is already using what someone intended for evil and turning it into good. Um, so I just wanted to, to touch on that, and as, as we mentioned earlier, there will be a special prayer service this Thursday for those that want to, to step out and, and spend some time um, lifting those folks up down in Charleston. Um, so getting back to our message today, we're staying in the Old Testament, and we're going to look at the story of Jonathan and David, which is marked as one of the deepest friendships in the Bible. Um, today specifically, I want us to look at the character of Jonathan through the lens of his friendship with David and try to pinpoint a few principles of a, a godly, life-giving friend. Now, this is not going to be, you know, finding the magical recipe for perfect relationships. Uh, that's actually next week with Fred, so make sure you come back for that one, not to put him on the spot or anything. Um, but, uh, no, obviously, those don't exist. Um, and I'm sorry to be the one to tell you that. But um, we, there are definitely, you know, characteristics that we can hone in on that Jonathan models that we can directly apply to our relationships today. So my hope is when we walk out of here, um, we're not only saying, wow, I'd love to, to have a friend like Jonathan, but we say, Lord, help me to be a friend like Jonathan and help me to model that in my relationships. So for those that know the story, if I were to, to take a poll of the audience and just shout it out, if there was one word to describe Jonathan, what would it be? 
somebody hit it right on the head. If we were playing Family Feud, it would be like number one on the, on the big board. It would be loyal. Survey says loyal. Um, but I want to dig a little bit deeper, trying to, to concentrate on some complementary attributes of what made him such a great friend and a model servant for us. Before we get there, let's set the stage, because while David is a pretty well-known biblical character, I want to make sure that we all have a basic understanding of, of Jonathan and his place in this story. So Jonathan was the firstborn son of King Saul, who's, who's the king of uh, Israel at the time. Um, he is next in line to the throne of Israel, basically the crowned prince. He was a military leader, and in the first account that we're going to look at, we get, we get a real glimpse of what he's made of. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to 1 Samuel 14, in the Pew Bibles, I believe it's on page 532. I did say 1 Samuel 14, right? Uh, starting in verse 6, it says, Let's go across to the outposts of those pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. Do what you think is best, the armor bearer said. I'm with you completely whatever you decide. All right then, Jonathan told him, we will cross over and let them see us. If they say to us, stay where you are or we'll kill you, then we will stop and not go up to them. But if they say, come on up and fight, then we will go up, because that will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. Now we know from earlier in chapter 13, this armor bearer doesn't even have a sword, and yet he is walking side by side with his buddy Jonathan into what is effectively a suicide mission. If we read on, we know that um, these guys did prod Jonathan and the armor bearer on, and, and they actually went on to kill about 20 Philistines there. And what's more important, they, they prompted a rout of the Philistines by the is, Israelite army. This was all uh, started with Jonathan's bold, uh, boldness and leadership. So we can immediately see that he's a man of faith and action, courageous action, and that he's a leader who inspires allegiance and, and really uh, a lot of trust. Skipping ahead a bit, we next see Jonathan in, uh, in chapter 18, where David has just finished talking to Saul after killing Goliath. And he meets Jonathan in verse 1. How do you think that first meeting went? I mean, you've got David, who is kind of this pop-up celebrity, jumps on the scene after this one big, uh, you know, this one, you know, big deal with killing Goliath, not to minimize that. But, you know, Jonathan was probably impressed with his, his faith and his courage in that episode, but, you know, Jonathan's no wimp. We know he's a pretty brave guy himself. And he is the prince. So did Jonathan go up to him and say, Yo, Dave, great job with that Goliath guy, but, you know, just one dude. Did you hear about me in the 20 Philistines? Yeah. You ever met a guy like that? <laughs> I, um, I knew a guy in high school who was, he was right on the border of kind of a friend acquaintance type. And, um, you know, he was a great storyteller. And I'm, I'm really not sure if many of these were, how many of these were true, but no matter what was being discussed in the circle at the time, he always seemed to have a story that was just a little bigger and better and badder. Um, he always had the crazier weekend or the cooler summer job or, you know, the, the older brother that, you know, was doing something else. But um, no matter what, he, he always was able to one-up um, what, what the current discussion was. Um, at least some people would refer to that as a, a one-upper. Whether he realized it or not, and I don't think it was intentional, what, what that served to do 
was elevate himself at the expense of others. Um, he elevated himself and demoralized, minimized, deflated other people. Did Jonathan do that? I, doubt, I don't doubt that he would have swapped some cool war stories with David. I mean, obviously they had, they had some neat stuff to talk about, but he wasn't exactly a one-upper. We, we see in verse 1 that there was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. Further on in verse 3, we see that <clears throat> they made a solemn pact together, and Jonathan more so loved David as himself. And then in verse 4, we see the, the pinnacle of this interaction where Jonathan, who, let's not lose sight of, is the crown prince of Israel, gifts David with his belt, his, uh, let's see, his belt, his tunic, his bow, his sword, and the very robe that he was wearing, which I have no doubt was, was pretty nice. This was an extremely significant and, and symbolic gesture. And, and the first thing we need to see about what Jonathan brings to this relationship is humility. <clears throat> In this selfless act of gifting David his clothing and his weapons, we get a keen insight into Jonathan's character. That he sees his, his accomplishments and who he is, his identity, in God, not in himself. If we look back at that attack in, ch- in chapter 14, where he and the armor-bearer go on to, to slay those 20 Philistines, we, we look at some of the quotes, and it says, some of Jonathan's quotes, he says, Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving. That will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. Climb up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Nowhere in the passage does he take credit for masterminding this two-on-20 victory. He knew the victory belonged to and only came to fruition because of the Lord, because that's what the Lord wanted. Now, in today's nomenclature, humility gets kind of a bad rap. Um, it gets linked to humiliation a lot. Some people would probably say it's, uh, it's the lowering or devaluing of oneself, but, but that's not what the Bible says. In Proverbs 22.4, It says, humility is the fear of the Lord. So what I take here is humility is a a condition of the heart where we understand our place within the perspective of the Lord and his whole creation, his whole story. Jonathan was a humble guy, and he certainly respected and revered God's power in his life. And while humility is is a, a great character trait to have on its own, it's invaluable in the context of a relationship because It brings accessibility. It brings openness and and communication and equal footing that allows that relationship to flourish. If Jonathan had allowed himself to focus on his accomplishments, his track record, his pedigree, his really future potential as uh, the king of Israel, he would have missed the calling and the plan that God had for his life. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Jonathan knew that he didn't have to do any lifting. Even though he was in a position of great influence, Jonathan was a humble man who understood his role in God's bigger story. He realized and knew in his core that it wasn't about him. Just so we keep up with the broader story, uh, if we look at 1 Samuel 18, starting in verse 14, it says, David continued, Uh, to succeed in everything that he did, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul recognized this, uh, he became even more afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful at leading his troops into battle. So David's on the rise here. 
and, and Saul is increasingly becoming insecure and fearful and anxious about losing his position of power. We next see Jonathan in uh, the start of chapter 19, where the first verse says, Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. Now, it's hard to know exactly from the context how much of what's been going on Jonathan has been aware of, but I have no reason to believe as the prince he wasn't in the palace seeing all this going on, hearing what was going on with the people. And so he must have had a keen sense of of David's meteoric rise and Saul's resultant increasing anxiety about the situation. But to be told to assassinate David, his best friend, seems like it kind of escalated awfully quickly. (laughs) Um, And let's not take this too lightly. Let's try to appreciate this through the eyes of Jonathan. Again, he's the crown prince, and he's torn between loyalty to his father, who's the king, and to his best friend David, a man that he loves as himself. To add to that, he's kind of got a lot at stake for himself, right? You know, by by worldly means, he's, again, next in throne to the the kingship of Israel. He's probably revered, you know, respect as a big public figure is a big thing for for folks in that position. So what's a guy to do? Um, well, I don't know that many of you are princes or princes out, princesses out there, so this might be a little difficult to relate to. Um, but, uh, so let, let's try to modernize the scenario. Let's say you're at work, and um, you're actually you're doing a great job. You're performing well, and you're, you're actually just killing it. Um, you have basically been donned the next in line to, uh, to your boss, who you know, runs a big division in, in the firm and is you know, scheduled to retire. You know, you know, it's, it's on the, the horizon. Everything's going well until all of a sudden you hear that the board has basically pointed to one of your good friends within the firm who is in no way qualified by conventional means to do this role. But the board says that he's going to take your boss's job. He's going to run that division. He's going to have that spot. He's going to basically rule. How do you react to that? Um, I don't know. I I, I think it's kind of... It, it may be tough to put yourself exactly in those shoes, but for those that have been through a similar situation, it, it's tough to react in love and in a, you know, always a mature way. But to, to add to that, upon hearing this, your boss, um, who, who really wants you to, to be the next in line, says something like, you know, Dave, those bozos on the board don't know what they're doing. You, you and I know what's right for this company. We're going to fix this. Um, you're going to go tell the board that this guy, I don't know, leaked proprietary information and, and they're going to have to do away with him and that'll, that'll kind of clear the path. I'll take care of the rest. You just, you go get it done. I know that may sound a little bit extreme, but, and the specifics probably are, but if you think about it in the context of, of what Jesus says in Matthew 7 about the wide path and the narrow gate, how often are we presented with those types of options every day? You know, whether, we, we kinda, whether it's just telling a little white lie to make things easier for people or, or something big, like, you know, standing out in integrity for, for what you believe in, in the face of criticism. Now, make no mistake, Jonathan knew, again, that David was the anointed one, as he acknowledged in chapter 23, which we'll get to in a little bit. So examining his actions in this context, I think, is even more amazing. Going back to, to chapter 19, um, Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. Another version actually says Saul urges Jonathan. So when I read this, again, I I see the enemy kind of at work here. Kind of whispering in Jonathan's ear, 
here's your get out of jail free card. This guy was going to take your spot, but now you have a chance to take it back. And what's more, the king is telling you to do it. Your father. What right do I have to, to disobey? You know, it's my father. He's the king, right? Jonathan was given, in my opinion, a wide gate option at this moment. He could have very easily rationalized turning on David, doing what was best for him, obeying, you know, his father and the king. How often, you know, our, our powers of rationalization are so strong, especially when it's something that we, we want. We find a way to, to navigate the scriptures or, or what God's telling us and, and make something that we really know is sin deep down sound all right to us. But Jonathan didn't do that. It says, Jonathan had taken a liking to David and warned him. The second thing we need to see here about Jonathan is he didn't take the bait. He didn't fold and he didn't compromise. He maintained his loyalty to his friend in a very challenging, what could have been a self-serving scenario. And what's more so, he maintained his faithfulness to his Lord. We see in chapter 20, verses 8, David says to Jonathan, Show me this loyalty as my sworn friend, for we made a solemn pact before the Lord. This is referencing the pact that they made in chapter 18. Jonathan knew that he had sworn loyalty to this man in front of the Lord, and that was what made him stay steady. Jonathan's faithfulness is unwavering throughout his friendship with David. Um, And what what does that look like for him? And what, what does that look like for us? He kept his word. He did what he said he was going to do. And he prioritized the things of God over the things of men. Even in difficult circumstances. Because Jonathan knew that it wasn't about him. Much like humility, being faithful and loyal is is something more than just external actions. It's, It's a condition of the heart. It goes deeper. And Jonathan, we see that Jonathan was faithful to the Lord and to David, um, but not begrudgingly. We know that it was coming out of a place of deep love for David. He did the right thing joyfully, and that, that actually poured out of him in constant encouragement for David. A great example of this is in chapter 23, verses 16 through 18. And this is what's, uh, some of what Stephanie read earlier for us. <clears throat> Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. This is when, uh, once again, David is on the run, and Saul and his, his band of uh, mercenaries, I guess, are, are, uh, are coming to get him. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never leave you. You are going to be the king of Israel, and I will be next to you, as my father Saul is well aware. So the two of them renewed their solemn pact before the Lord. Then Jonathan returned home, while David stayed at Horesh. This is the only reference to Jonathan in this chapter, in this part of the story. And, and what do we see him doing? The first couple words say, Jonathan went to find David. So it's not like he was already with him and he could just shout out, you know, right over to him. He had to go find him. And this was presumably a very dangerous mission, knowing that Saul had a, a pack of guys that were also looking for David. And the first thing that Jonathan says in verse 16 is, Hey, Dave, trust me, I, I got this all under control. No, of course not. He encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Jonathan reassured David that because God had ordained something, that no man was going to make it not so. No man could prevent that. 
he didn't rely on encouraging him based on what he could do for him, but what God could do for him. Then we see that they renewed their pact, and Jonathan went home. Jonathan went out of his way. This entire three verses is just Jonathan going and encouraging David. Went to him, encouraged him, went home. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let everything you say be good and helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. We hear a similar message in Hebrews 10. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward loving good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Jonathan went out to David not to give him weapons or military strategy or help him to find a way out, but just to encourage him. He saw a friend that was in distress, and he wanted to tell him, Dave, I know things are tough right now. I know, I know you think all hope is lost, but keep running that race. Keep fighting. God is in control. No man can take away what God has ordained to happen. Jonathan's mission in this passage is just tending to a distressed friend who needs to be reminded of God's love and faithfulness. How often do we see opportunities like that? How often are we ourselves in opportunities like that and we wish a friend would come alongside and just say, Dave, God is in control, man. That, That doesn't heal everything, obviously. But come on, being able to rest in God is a huge blessing. Jonathan saw this as such a critical part of his friendship that he actually risked his own skin to find David while he was in a battle zone being hunted because he knew that his encouragement could spur David on to greater things. Jonathan knew, again, that it wasn't about him. I think we'd all agree that Jonathan has has risked a lot for his friend David. Even though he's the prince and presumably has afforded uh, maybe a little more latitude and leniency, He's put himself out there on a limb a few times. Going back to to chapter 19, remember when Saul told Jonathan to kill David. We know that Jonathan stood firm. He warned his friend and, and, you know, didn't turn on him. He could have stopped there, and I probably would have counted him a pretty good friend. But he didn't. Carrying on in chapter chapter 19, verses 2 and on, it says, But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him. My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. The next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father about David, saying many good things about him. The king must not sin against his servant, David, Jonathan said. He's never done anything to harm you. He has always helped you in any way he could. Have you forgotten about the time he risked his life to kill the Philistine giant and how the Lord brought about a great victory to all of Israel as a result? You were certainly happy about it then. Why should you murder an innocent man like David? You have no reason for it at all. This is an awfully risky proposition, saying this kind of stuff to a king that's you know, not 100% got all his marbles right now. He could have just warned David, David said, you know, hide just wait till this all blows over, you know. And then he could have gone back to Saul and said, hey, I couldn't find him, don't know what to do. But instead, he goes above and beyond to defy, outright defy and lecture his king father. Remember, in, in these times, there is no concept of civil disobedience. This type of stuff wasn't tolerated. The king's law was the law. 
and even someone in the royal family could be in, at the risk of losing, you know, everything above their neck if they said something like this. But Paul was pacified, Saul was pacified for a while, until in chapter 20 when we see David is on the run again. And Jonathan kind of still isn't sold that his father's serious this time about this whole killing thing. So he says to David in verse 4, tell me what I can do to help you. And they devise an elaborate plan for Jonathan to figure out the truth about Saul's intentions and really how, how extreme he's really you know, being with this thing. So Jonathan told David, I promise by the Lord, the God of Israel, that by this time tomorrow or the next day at the latest, I will talk to my father and let you know at once how he feels about you. Now, Jonathan's not ignorant uh, to the reality and weight of this situation. We see in verse 15 that he, he's willing to die in this endeavor. So the, the last kind of critical characteristic I want to see here that Jonathan brings to this relationship is what I'll call sacrificial service. <clears throat> Jonathan was a true servant. He demonstrated humility in accepting and embracing that David would have what the world, uh, the throne, that the, that the world, that custom, that history said should have been his. He was always faithful and encouraging to David, even when it wasn't popular to be. And this manifested itself in his desire to serve, and, and frankly, to serve dangerously. Jesus said in, in Mark ten forty five, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jonathan lived this out. He defied conventional wisdom by directly serving the man that by all accounts in this society should have been shearing his sheep for him. In John 15, Jesus says, This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for his friends. Obviously, we see multiple times that, that Jonathan loved David. And we see there are various scenarios where he was just outright willing to give his life for David's. But I think there's a little bit more to it than that. As we saw, Jonathan knew that David was God's anointed one. And Jonathan, I think, wanted to see God's mission accomplished, God's plan accomplished, even if it cost him everything that he had. Jonathan lived out Jesus' command to live sacrificially, to love others sacrificially, without pretense or condition. And, And his selfless actions, we know, had eternal reverberations for everything that David would go on to do. Now, in most of our lives today, sacrifice doesn't always take on as dramatic a view as that. Um, not all of us are called to give our lives for our friends. But, you know, that doesn't mean that, that serving others is any less impactful or encouraging. Um, as I mentioned before, Sarah and I uh, were blessed with a little baby boy about six weeks ago. And um, it's just been incredible to see the outpouring of support that folks in this church and beyond have, have offered to us. And... It's been more than just the, you know, hey, Dave and Sarah, congrats. Let me know if you need anything. No, I I could point to so many people in this audience right now that have been intentional and purposeful and deliberate about going out of their way to serve us, really at at cost of their time, you know, and, and other resources. In one specific occurrence, a couple effectively said, you know, we'd love to take you to the grocery store. And for those that don't know Sarah, that's kind of like her happy place. Um, you know, one of us can watch Jack and the other will take you, or we can all go together. Just let me know what works for you, what day, and we'll go. 
no questions asked. And while that may seem like a simple thing to some people, society doesn't go out of their way to do that. Um, There's something deeper at root in those folks. Obviously, those people were, were trying to serve us and meet our needs, but I see it as they're trying to model Christ to, to us and others in this world, modeling Christ's sacrificial service. Because it's in Jesus that we see our ultimate model of that sacrificial service. Paul says in Philippians 2, starting in verse 3, Do nothing out of selfish, selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. I would argue Jonathan modeled this perspective. He, he did nothing to appease his own selfish ambition. Even if he had any, we don't see it. And he valued David's well-being above his own. He humbly gave up his kingly right to serve David, just as Jesus gave up his throne to sacrifice, serve, and die for us. The creator of the universe, our personal God, sacrificed his only son to win us back from the depths of death. And we are called to live that out in our day-to-day in our relationships. He has empowered us to shine his light in this world, to proclaim the glorious result of his unfailing love and faithfulness. And the primary way that we do that is interacting with other people. Your friends, your family, people in this church, but people out there. That's, you know, I think, you know, Dwight Moody, I think it was Dwight Moody said, you know, one person will read the Bible, the other 99 will see, you know, Jesus through you. I probably butchered that. Don't hold that against me. Sorry. Sorry, Dwight. Um, but there, there's so, we spend so much of our time interacting with other people, there's so much opportunity for us to infuse or have Christ shine through us into those relationships. So there's, there's a lot more that you can grasp from this story. I kind of, I picked these four qualities because they, they kind of jumped out to me, and I think they, they work well together, and there's something... That, that we can all make a conscious choice to implement in our day-to-day lives. Again, these are all conscious choices, humility, faithfulness, encouragement, and sac- self-serving uh, sacrifice, sacrificial service. These are all skill sets that can be learned and honed. Um, we can get better at this. We can see in Jonathan and David that our earthly relationships flourish when, instead of prioritizing having our own needs met, we do look to the interests of others when we root ourselves in our commitment to God and strive to spur one another on by giving ourselves away. So what did Jonathan get for all this? Um, You know, we saw in in chapter 23, he says, you know, you're going to be king and I'm going to sit right next to you. Uh, For those that know the story, that's not exactly how it went down. Um, Jonathan died in battle in chapter 31 and David wasn't, uh, wasn't actually kinged until 2 Samuel. What I see here is that we're not always going to see the fruit of, of what we do on this earth. We're not meant to. Some of us plant seeds. Some of us will, will water those seeds. But um, that's not the reason that, we, that we're called to do this stuff. Um, we're called to do it because Christ tells us to do it. 
and it's modeled for us here, and we, know exa- we can know exactly how to do it. So to wrap up, while I have no doubt that, that we'd all love and, and want to have those Jonathan-like friends in our lives, that's friends, you know, husbands, you know, children, coworkers, etc., um, that, that's not really within our control. What we can control is exhibiting those Jonathan-esque qualities towards our relationships, in our friendships, at work, towards our spouses, our children, even those, you know, cousins and weird uncles that you have. I'll just speak for myself here, knowing that, I, I mean, I, I obviously fall short here. Um, for those that know me, I, you know, I am sitting right down there listening to exactly what I'm saying. But I, I'm challenged and convicted by Jonathan. I'm, I'm, I'm going to try not to just let this stuff pass through in one ear and out the other. I know that I'm charged, can be equipped, and commanded by God to love people as Jonathan loved David. Because it honors the Lord, it blesses others, and because at the end of the day, it's not about me. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your unfailing love and faithfulness towards us. That because you are faithful, you poured yourself out for us in sacrificial service on the cross. Father, help us to model what your son said and how he lived, how Jonathan lived. Help us to be others-focused, finding our security and significance, just like Stephanie said earlier, finding our identity in who you are, knowing that we are your children and we are free to pour out on other people, Lord. I pray that your spirit would convict us where we may be falling short today and equip us to be brighter beacons of your manifest love in all our relationships. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of serving you. Be glorified, Lord. In your name, amen.